Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, We have three profound words for you, family. We live, love, serve. Amen. Listen, if you would, just join me in the reading of the scripture today found in the Gospel of John, the third chapter. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version as well as the Message Bible. John 3, beginning at verse 1 and reading through 8. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In the Message Bible, it reads like this. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God if God weren't in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that. A body you can touch, but the person who takes shape within this, within is formed by something you can't see and touch the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. 
So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above. By the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Come on, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, O oh God, for this glorious day you've given us. And we pray, O oh God, that somehow in our living, in our breathing, in our doing, that we honor you in all ways. We thank you, God. We honor you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen. Come on, you can just take your seat wherever you are and let's just go. I want, I want today, and, and I'll be brief today. God has already been moving in this place, but I want to share this morning from the thought, notes from a nighttime visit. Notes from a nighttime visit. This scene takes place early in John's gospel, in the third chapter to be exact. It is an early sign in John's gospel of this work that Jesus has been called to do and will unfold in the midst of the people that, that Jesus has been sent to serve, to preach to, to teach. Nicodemus is an interesting character. His name means victory for all people. Victory for all people comes to the chosen one at night in order to make an inquiry or maybe it's to try in some way to garner some, some level of endearment from Jesus. He comes at night and at night Nicodemus says those words. He says, Rabbi, we know that you come straight from God. Because no one can do the things you do apart from God. In other words, here's Nicodemus, a leader among the people of God, a Pharisee, numbered among the 70 elders, part of the Sanhedrin council. And here, this Pharisee, this leader, this religious leader among his people comes to Jesus with an astonishing acknowledgement early in Jesus' ministry, according to John's gospel. Rabbi, we know, we know, not I know, which means that somehow Nicodemus has been privy to conversations that have taken place because he comes now with a singular voice speaking for the community of fellowship known as Pharisees. We know that you come straight from God because no one can do the things you are able to do disconnected, out of alignment with God. You, you, we know, are straight from God. And when Jesus hears this, he's not overwhelmed in some way, and he begins to say to Nicodemus, really, Nicodemus, there's a deeper thing that's going on beyond your acknowledgement. You have to be born from above. He, he, he almost stops Nicodemus dead in his own tracks to help him see something deeper that is taking place. He says in that moment, 
unless you are born from above. In a word, you won't fully understand the nature of the work that I'm a part of. Now, you have to remember at this point in John's gospel, Jesus has done two things that are extremely powerful. One is the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee, where he turns water into wine. Those receptacles that he uses to turn the water into wine, those stone jars were the jars that were used for cleansing ceremonies where people who were viewed as ritually defiled would have to put their arms in and they would bring their arms up to their shoulders in water and somehow when they came out, it was a sign of ritual cleansing. And Jesus takes the stone, he takes the stone jars that are used for the ceremony of cleansing and he transforms what is inside the jars. And if I had some time today, I would talk about because in some ways, Jesus uses this moment to outline that there will be a new way to experience cleansing in this season. A new way to experience transformation, not through these ritualistic ceremonies, but by a conversion of the heart connected to God. And then he leaves that scene of the wedding feast of Cana where there's this transformation of the receptacles used for cleansing and the ritual of transformation. And then he goes to the temple, the synagogue, and what he sees blows his mind. There are people selling goods in the temple. There are money changers at the table who are cheating the people who are coming to make an offering. And when Jesus sees what is taking place in the temple, what he did in Cana reimagines the cleansing. He now cleanses the temple. He turns the tables upside down. He makes whips and he beats people out of the temple. He said, you have turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves. Early in the ministry in John, he does two radical things. He reimagines the process of cleansing and transformation. And then he turns the tables upside down to let them know there's something new is unfolding in their midst. God is moving in a different kind of way in this season. And here now, here, when he speaks to Nicodemus, there's something that we miss sometimes in the previous setting. Not only the turning the water into wine and not only the turning the tables upside down, but in the end of that second chapter of John's gospel, Jesus almost says it directly. I have a problem trusting people who need to see signs. Right at the end of that second chapter, he makes it clear that he says in other places, if you need signs, that's not a sign of faithfulness. That's a sign of faithlessness. That he has a hard time trusting people who need to see in order to believe. Who need to be able to touch and feel and ascertain in order to be converted by what God is doing. Because maybe in this season, in this new move of God through Jesus, God is up to something that will not always be something that everyone can see. Maybe something they experience. Oh, I hope you can get this set up. And then chapter three, the conversation with Nicodemus who comes acknowledging that Jesus has some divine connection, some God connection because of the things. Oh God, I hope you hear this. The things, the things. Water to wine, turning tables upside down. And Nicodemus says that somehow those two signs are connected to divine activity. We know that you come straight from God because no one else can do these things unless they're connected to God. And then, and then, he says, you must be born from above. In some translations, it says born again, which is a misuse of the word anothon, which means from above, not again, from above. And then Jesus presses it because Nicodemus is confused. He thinks that Jesus is speaking literally, but Jesus is speaking metaphorically and figuratively. He says, you must have a conversion to understand the kingdom I speak of, 
to be a part of this kingdom movement, this outbreak of God's kingdom. Something has to happen. Nicodemus says, because he sees it literally, does it mean that you go back into your mother's womb again when you've grown old? Do you grow old and then get born again? Jesus says, no. This is not work of the physical. This is work of the spiritual. Something must happen to the individual who claims to be in alignment with God. That somehow what happens with the individual becomes a sign of the outbreak and inbreak of the kingdom of God. Oh, I hope you can hear this this morning. Jesus says, you'll never get it if you're trying to understand it. You'll get it when you feel it. This is why I, for years I was wondering why this analogy, but he makes it clear. You don't know where the wind comes from. You don't know what it's going to do next, but you feel it. When the wind blows, you begin to feel it, and you don't stop to understand the wind. You don't stop to try to make sense of the wind. You just stand in the experience of the wind. This is what Jesus is saying, that when the spirit begins to move and the very spirit of God, the wind of God, the ruah of God begins to move over your spirit, you don't need to understand it. Just walk in the fullness of the experience. And what you feel at that moment of transformation, of conversion, is called the kingdom of God. Oh, beloved, you need to see something. Jesus, in that one moment, not only reimagines the way they understood themselves religiously, but even now Jesus reimagines this. Sometimes we make this born again language, meaning that in some way, some visible sign must be a manifestation that you are now holy. When the truth of the matter is, the real move of God is not something that is always visible, but it's always experienced. It is not something you just do for some ceremony or some ritual like the water to wine. It is not something you do manipulating the rituals in such a way that you undermine the movement of God like what they were doing in the temple. That every now and again, the inbreaking of the kingdom comes when the tables are turned upside down and somehow the spirit is shifted you're born from above the reason why I love this passage is because Jesus here in John 3 which John's gospel is the most theological of all the gospels in John's gospel Jesus now makes it clear that the goal of this journey is not to enter the kingdom but to become the kingdom I hope you understand this. Those of us who say, I'm going to live right here so I get to the kingdom over there. Jesus now says, no, pull back. You become it by a conversion of the spirit. And here's the question. Will you yield to the move of God even when you don't understand when God is moving? Will you surrender to the spirit of God and experience not church, not religion, not empty rituals, not dead ceremony, but will you have the courage to be still and experience the breaking of the kingdom in your very being? 
That means you talk like the kingdom, you walk like the kingdom, you live like the kingdom, you serve like the kingdom, you love like the kingdom, you become the kingdom. No one ought to die to see you. Oh, you missed that. That in your living, you can touch the kingdom by being in touch with the move of the spirit that is going on within you, Nicodemus. If you're trying to make sense of the wind, you'll waste your time. But if you sit still in the experience of God's move, you'll experience more than you could have ever imagined the kingdom of God. How many times have we come to church trying to make sense of inexplicable movements? How many times have we tried to put labels on things that are transcendent? I mean, look at what the Message Bible says. That, that wind, that power, that hovering over the water wind, that making the visible out of the invisible power, that power, and we try to contain it or even quantify it instead of moving with it and in it and being shifted and shaped by God. Now, that really is, for me, the essence of this story. And if I stopped here, it would be probably enough that somehow Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus and all of us understand that if you're going to live into your name, victory for the people, you have to let God have God's way with your spirit. And that's it. We go to church and we think we have to read scripture after scripture. And when people go through certain issues, they often reach out, Pastor, what scripture should I read for this? And I say, just keep breathing. Keep breathing. And the more you keep breathing, the more God keeps moving. And then what you need for those moments of, 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 of brokenness and woundedness and damagedness that somehow in your breathing and your living and in God's moving, something will break out in you where the answer will become relevant when you look in the mirror and you see the kingdom all over you and you see the kingdom moving through you. And you see, that's really what I, I, I realized, Deacon King. I realized in my life that, that no, I, 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 I remember going up in church and they were saying, Lord, I want to be a Christian. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. And maybe they had it wrong. God, I want to be in the kingdom in my soul. I want to be the kingdom in my spirit. When anyone looks at me, I want them to get a glimpse of the kingdom possibilities. When they see you, they ought to get a glimpse of kingdom possibilities. When they see you, they ought to see what it looks like to be submitting to the move of God in your life. That could be it. That's not what I want to focus on tonight or today think about it Nicodemus comes to Jesus on a nighttime mission he knows what the truth is but he can't speak it in the daylight he knows the truth but it's only a truth he can honor when no one is looking it's only a truth he can honor when there's no attention public deception private truth 
somehow in the light of day, he cannot stand in the truth he knows. Maybe for fear of what the other Pharisees might think. Maybe for fear that he would lose his position. Maybe he thought that somehow acknowledging the presence of Jesus is actually acknowledging the new move of God and also acknowledging at the same time that the Pharisees were buffers, false buffers, for a reality they were trying to mitigate instead of be open to. Maybe that was all of what was happening with Nicodemus. But here's the question. Where's the courage that helps you own your truth in daylight? If you have to hide your truth, then your fraudulence is at center stage. What truths do you keep hidden under the dark? You see, what I've discovered is that one of the biggest things we have a hard time doing is publicly acknowledging and owning the truth of who we are. That somehow we're so fearful of our own truth about ourselves that we'd rather publicly perform and privately mourn. Mourn the fact that we can't be bold enough to stand in the authenticity of who we are called to be. That somehow we're so more desirous of the affirmation from false friends and the affirmation from an unseen public that we're fearful to walk boldly in our truth. And all of us who are afraid to live and walk in the truth we know, even about ourselves, we live with that quiet pain of not honoring what we know to be true not honoring the best parts of ourselves. Why have you been hiding your truth? What is it about your authenticity that terrifies you? How many nighttime visits have you made to yourself? Afraid for a true and creative encounter with yourself. You see, what I've discovered along my journey is that in all of us, there's a little Nicodemus and Jesus at the same time. There's that inner voice that honors truth. And then there's that social voice that's afraid of it. And at different times along our journey, we try to honor that inner voice. At different times along our journey, we try to honor the truth of who we are. But then at other times, we're reluctant to show the truth to others for fear of judgment or ridicule. And so instead of honoring that truth, instead of walking boldly in that truth, we live in our own created and fabricated darkness, pained by reality that we weren't courageous enough to live the life we were created to live. Nicodemus came by night because he couldn't hold the truth in the daytime. 
because he thought that he would lose more than he would gain. What good is a truth when you cannot be true with it? You see, when you don't honor the truth of who you are, I said this this week at Midweek Motivation, we die a little bit daily. When we can't live in the fullness of who we are, we die a little bit daily. And we live, but we're not living alive. I want to live alive, which means that all of who I am must show up in every moment that I am. Because what is my existence if it is not real? What is my life if it is shaped by pretentiousness? Who am I really if my best movements are my dark movements and unable to live in the light of day? I know that on some levels, Jesus' teaching was deeper than Nicodemus expected. Nicodemus, when this kingdom begins to take over you, you don't care who knows your truth. When the kingdom breaks in you and out of you, you're not fixated on the opinions of shallow people. Live in your truth. Don't be ashamed of who you are. So many days get lost in pretending. So many moments pass us by because we can't muster the courage to stand strong and stand tall in who God has called us to be. And it doesn't mean you won't have success, but you won't even be able to enjoy the success of the nighttime you because you've been afraid of embracing and embodying your own truth. And Nicodemus said, we know who you are. And I know what truth is, but I'm too afraid to admit it publicly. Public deception versus a private truth. No, live alive and live boldly and live out loud. Don't be ashamed of those little chinks in the armor, those little moments of imperfection. Because if God is not offended by it, who cares who else is offended? If God doesn't have a problem with you, who cares who does have a problem? I'd rather stand in my truth and honor God and the kingdom in me than live in a falsehood that makes you feel comfortable. Remember, we all got a little Nicodemus in us. But the hope is that the God in us 
always overshadows the temptation to not be genuine. That's what I want you to remember today, beloved. That we are in a season where falsehoods abound. Where lies have become more appealing than truth. And at some point in your living, you must counter the cultural normalization of falsehoods made manifest in your own life. Be true to who God has called you to be. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today. We honor you, O oh God, for how even right now you're reminding us of the beauty of your creativity at work in us. I know that scripture says it, God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderfully made we are in your image, in your likeness. And God, the truth is, if we cannot stand in the truth of who you created us to be, we actually dishonor the best parts of ourselves by dishonoring your handiwork. But God, we are grateful today. Grateful today that you do not make us carbon copies of one another. That you make us all in the uniqueness of our personalities, in the beauty of our characters. God, thank you. Thank you. For in the midst of all that we are, one thing we truly are is reflection of you. Thank you for trusting us with your divine imprint. Thank you for keeping us close to your reflection. God, we thank you and we honor you. And it's in your name we pray and we say amen, amen. Beloved, listen, life is truly fleeting. So many lessons we've learned during this pandemic, but we've learned that life is fleeting. And I said it earlier this week, if life is fleeting, live alive today. Live alive today. And living alive means living in your own truth of who you are and the authenticity of who you are and the uniqueness of who you are. In your own life, rise, shine, and give God the glory. No.
Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.